Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Praise you, Father. Thank you so much for all you're doing throughout the world, Lord, in bringing multitudes into your kingdom and meeting their needs. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to share with you that God is sovereign to meet our needs. Amen? Um, This first revelation is, we called it, God Knows Your Number. It's about the testimony of a locked bag. And uh, it was given to us by Anonymous. Mm -hmm. A few days ago, I bought a small bag with a built-in number lock. It was used, and it didn't have the combination with it. I figured I would buy it anyway because the code was only three digits. (laughs) I started trying combinations in and got to 150, and then I set it aside. This morning, though, I had a dream that the code was 450-something, Now, the code could be anywhere between (laughs) 00-999. So, that's about a thousand options. But I decided to try 450-somethings because of the dream. And guess what? The code was 450. (laughs) Yes, that's how accurate our dreamers are, folks, and how accurate God's dreams are. Well, uh, praise the Lord, she says. He cares about the little things, too. Yes, he does. Luke eleven nine through 13 says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And of which of you that is a father shall his son ask a loaf, and he give him a stone, or a fish, and he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Amen. Another testimony. Uh, we call this healed from a spider bite. And this was given to Mariana Payne, 6-16-22. And she said, I'd like to share a testimony of the Lord's healing in my body. I had found a small red pin prick 
on my hip that I thought was a simple little bug bite. I didn't pay it any attention and just went on with my week. However, after a couple of days, the spot started to whelp up and the redness started to spread across my stomach. Isaac, my husband, and I prayed over it and commanded it to go away and for my body to be healed in Jesus' name. The redness was still growing and was now turning purple, and the entire left side of my stomach was swollen. It was painful to stand, bend, and walk, yet we still believed that I was healed. I claimed that I was healed even though in the natural it was getting worse. Well, that's because we know that the Bible says, by whose stripes you were healed. It was done. It was done at the cross, right? The bug bite resembled that of a brown recluse spider bite as the infected area began to deteriorate into an open wound. Yep, that's what they do. And as you will read later in the testimony... I listened to UBM Bible studies overnight just to find some relief and find uh, sleep. About this time, the Bible study message on June 1, 2022 came out. The message Michael Hare gave that night was spot on and uh, divinely directed for me. Romans 10, 17 So faith cometh from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of the thing hoped for, while the evidence of things not seen. I believed I have been healed even if I didn't see it physically yet. I needed to believe in the integrity of God's word. And Mark 11:24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Amen. And Romans 3 and 4 says, Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. My flesh and the symptoms were lying, and the truth is, in God's word, I was healed. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Amen. And Proverbs 4, 20 through 22 says, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. I just had to keep God's word in my sight and not the image of the swollen bite that had now enlarged to a small softball-sized lump. This was a test of true heart faith and not mental assent. Um, that God was walking me through. I also thought on a dream that the Lord had given me last year. In the dream, I was bit by a snake and should have died, 
but the Lord miraculously healed me, and I grew in faith to overcome a tiger. And uh, she has in parenthesis here, uh, UBM Bible study, Bride Rewarded, Wicked Judged, April 27, 2022. Romans 8 and 37 no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. First John 4 and 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. First John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Isaac and I asked our brothers and sisters on the outreach ministries to combine and multiply faith in prayer for the manifestation of the healing that I believed I already had. And after those prayers, there was a breakthrough. The lump had started to drain and empty out all the infection. The redness stopped spreading and the color was returning to normal. It drained for a couple of days and the size diminished. However, it then left about a five millimeter round hole and about five millimeter deep open wound right on my hip. The wound was large enough to require stitches. And all throughout this, I was still claiming it was healed, and that included closing the open wound too. Isaac and I prayed more specifically, and the next morning when I woke up, the wound had closed. It was literally an open wound the night before, and now, after waking up, the wound had closed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. In the natural, people who have brown recluse spider bites normally need to be hospitalized and have the infected skin removed. They also need to f a full round of antibiotics pumped into them, and be stitched up to close such a wound. A bite could turn deadly quickly. But the Lord is my healer and helper. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I continue to grow faith, grow in faith, and in Jesus' name I have been healed. Thank you, Jesus. Well, amen. Um... Yep, that would be the normal thing that people do, you know. Um, but those who walk in faith have these awesome uh, testimonies to share with God's people that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise be to God. Amen. And here's her, her husband, Isaac Payne. He sent this on 5-8-22. He said, I missed my flight and Father miraculously got me another one. I wanted to share an awesome testimony concerning me missing my flight. It begins with me traveling to a work site to finish a project. 
I booked my ticket days before the flight was scheduled. I booked an 11 a.m. departing flight with the final destination arrival to be at 4.49 p.m. This flight was a one-stop connection in ORD, Chicago, and the final destination was AVP, Scranton, Pennsylvania. I arrived at my departing airport, SRQ, which is Sarasota, Florida, and I went to the check-in desk, giving the attendants my bags, checking in for my flight, and receiving my boarding tickets. This time was different. The attendant told me they were short on paper and could only print me one ticket. <laughs> Typically, I would receive all my boarding tickets needed, including ones for my connections also. This meant I would now need to get my other boarding ticket printed at my first stop in ORD, which is Chicago. The uh, boarding ticket is important because it indicates what terminal and gate I need to be at next in order to board onto the correct plane. Back to the testimony. I was still at Sarasota and arrived at my gate to board the plane. However, the plane was late leaving Sarasota. As we arrived in Chicago, I realized I only had 15 minutes before my next connection flight was to depart. My next flight was already being boarded at this time while I was still sitting on the first flight. And this left me with only 15 minutes to find an attendant, get my boarding ticket printed out, and run to the correct terminal and correct gate to board my plane. To make matters seem more improbable, ORD is an airport hub, which means it can take 20 minutes or more just to get to the correct terminal. Not to mention, uh, I might need to jump onto a train just to get there. However, I was in a place of weakness because the previous airport only gave me one boarding ticket and I did not know where I was supposed to be. Well, at this point, I realized I had been sent an email showing what the next aircraft number was. However, I still needed to find an attendant to look up the aircraft number and point me in the right direction. I ran around the airport looking for an attendant, but was not able to find a single person. I was starting to get anxious. I immediately called my wife and told her and the kids to pray for me to make my flight so that I don't have to stay overnight at the airport and miss being on, the, on site with the client when I was scheduled. AVP Scranton, Pennsylvania is not a popular destination, so there was a possibility that there would not, any more, there would not be any more flights departing to Scranton. So I looked at my phone and I realized I had less than 10 minutes to make my flight. I continued running around not knowing where I was going and casting down thoughts as I went. I finally found uh, an attendant talking to a pilot. 
The attendant told me he would be momentarily with me. I said politely, Sir, I have no time. I need to get to my plane. They have already boarded and my flight is about to depart. The attendant looked at my looked my aircraft number up on the computer and said uh, I need to be in terminal F, which was multiple terminals away. At this time, I had three minutes to make my flight. The boarding time was done for my flight, and in three minutes, the gate would close and the flight would be on the runway. The flight had already boarded 27 minutes ago. So I turned to leave towards the correct terminal. The terminal was still 20 to 25 minutes away. Hmm. As I was walking away, the attendant shouted back at me, What is the flight number again? And I told him once again. He looked at me stunned and said, Sir, you have four hours before your flight departs. I said to him, Sir, I scheduled my flight so I would arrive around 5 p.m. in Scranton, Pennsylvania. My tra travel itinerary was departing Sarasota at 11 a.m. and arriving in Scranton at 4.49. I specifically scheduled this so I could get in Scranton earlier. I immediately looked at the email on my phone. It still showed that I was to arrive in AVP Scranton, Pennsylvania at 449. And as I was looking at it, knowing the attendant was wrong, the number literally miraculously changed on my email right before my eyes. Literally right in front of my eyes. The number changed, and now the flight showed I was supposed to be in Scranton at 9.05 p.m. The pilot that was talking to the attendant looked at me, smiled, and said, Sir, go get yourself some lunch. <laughs> well, I was stunned. I knew for a fact I scheduled my flights to arrive at my final destination around 5 p.m. At this point, I knew I had to prove it. I went back to the company travel agency and checked on what I had scheduled and took a picture of the email they sent me. Sure enough, I was right. I knew I witnessed a miracle. Father changed my connection flight and allowed me to get to my destination. I was determined to find out more. Once I ate lunch and got to my terminal, I asked one of the customer support agents if this is normal. She said to me, I've never heard of that happening. Uh, something is odd. <laughs> well, I knew this was an answered prayer. Also, I still have uh, the emails proving what happened to me and see the attached screenshots. Thank you, Father. Yep, they're there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got a little confirmation of Isaac's missed flight experience. Um, twice God did miracles with my air flights to make sure the hidden manna revelation got to the people it was supposed to. I was flying from city to city, um, teaching to teaching, and so on. I had wondered to the Lord why he had me on so many connecting flights. 
so he did something about it. While waiting in Atlanta to catch my flight to Chicago, we were told that the plane had developed mechanical problems and they did not have a replacement until later in the evening. Feeling uh, great peace and thanking God, I went to reschedule, and they put me on a flight straight to Indianapolis, where I was scheduled to speak. Bypassing Chicago, where we had already shared this revelation, that evening we heard on the news that Chicago was snowed or iced in and people were sleeping in the airport. And I would have missed my engagement if God had not broken that plane and uh, shortened my trip. On another flight, I arrived in Baltimore, Washington airport too late to catch my flight to Atlanta. And when I arrived to the gate for my flight to Atlanta, the boarding ramp had already been removed and the door closed on the plane. And the the plane was literally revving up its engines to back out. The agent told me that it was impossible to make the flight and I would have to reschedule, especially since I would have to go back through security to be rechecked. I started praying to Father to get me to my destination on time. And I left the security zone to go to the ticket counter for a rescheduled boarding pass. And once I rescheduled, I grabbed my receipt and took off for security and my boarding gate. When I finally made it there, probably 15 minutes after leaving the ticket counter, they were beginning to board. I gave my receipt to the agent at the gate, and she printed me a boarding pass, and when I took a moment to look at the pass, I was confused. I checked my original pass, and sure enough, it was the same flight number that I was originally scheduled on. So, in a nutshell, uh, God reversed time, and I miraculously arrived at my boarding gate before, <laughs> before I had left it the first time. Yes, you heard me right. So I asked the agent how this was possible, uh, that I was rescheduled on the same flight, one that was already leaving and got back before it left. And she just shrugged her shoulders with a confused look on her face. And on top of that, they were leaving on time. And looking at my watch, no more than five minutes had elapsed from the time I left the ticket counter outside security. I was amazed. I thought, Father, what did you do with that time? Well, we know we serve an awesome God who has no limits whatsoever to meet our needs. He doesn't dwell in time. We do. He controls time. As a matter of fact, He's there before we get there. <laughs> And another time I was driving across country in my car. 
and I knew how far I had to go and my approximate arrival time. And during my drive, I suddenly realized I was driving through a town that I knew was much further down the road. And I thought to myself, what did I do, fall asleep and drive all this way? Not possible, not possible. You know, uh, then I realized um, that the Lord had translated me and the car, or else he changed time. So I arrived much earlier at my destination, which is what I really needed. Isn't God awesome? (laughs) Uh, Here's one we call Supernatural Preservation and Multiplication of UBM Materials. Samuel and Tiana Mary Church shared this one. A man we used to fellowship with mentioned to us about the numeric Bible. We had been asking God for ages what is the closest Bible to his. We then watched a video of David Eels uh, talking about the numeric New Testament Bible. So we bought the UBM version from Lulu. And for some reason, we also bought all of David Eels' books with it, which uh, Lulu handles, by the way. By the way, we don't charge anything for anything, and uh, Lulu gets a, a fee for handling it, but we waive our fee. We don't take any fee whatsoever. We give everything. And... Uh, even though we hadn't listened to his other videos at this point. And when we received the books, we only read the numeric Bible, and we put all the rest of David Eels' books away in storage. Months later, we went to get all of our stuff out of storage and found that rats and mice had either pooped or peed on or eaten through all of our stuff, including evangelism tracts and the King James Bibles. The only thing that had absolutely no rat poop or pee on it or had not been eaten through was the cardboard box with David Eels' books inside. All our other cardboard boxes had parts of it eaten through and poop and pee all over it. We felt it was a sign from God to travel with the books and listen to his videos. Well, amen. So we listened to his videos and felt for a long time to join the Zoom outreach, but at at the time I was really introverted and listening to spirits of shame and rejection. So we didn't join for ages, but finally we did, and are so grateful to the Lord for prompting us to join the outreach. We shared this testimony with a sister from UBM, and she said it's symbolic of how The poop was on everything that was unclean or leavened, and uh, the spiritual food in David Eels' books was clean uh, and unleavened. The brothers and sisters in the outreach are actually growing in Christ and manifesting God's love and grace, which we have not found elsewhere. We We feel part of a loving family. We are so grateful for all the spiritual food in David Eels' books and videos. And thank you, Father God, all glory is yours. Amen. Well, this reminds me of the dentist in Gulf Breeze, Florida, 
who was given some of our videos by Bernice to watch, but he kept putting her off and not watching them. And one day his office burned to the ground, and the only thing left in the ashes was those plastic DVDs that miraculously survived the fire completely, uh, sitting in the middle of it on a metal coffee table. The dentist was so shocked, he contacted her and told her he was not going to put off watching those videos anymore. Well, you can see uh, supernatural propagation of UBM materials and miracles God has done to get them out, even multiplying them. And we'll put you a couple of links here. Multiplying books. I remember Sandy uh, giving a testimony. She traveled to uh, the West Coast and only took a few books. And when she got there, every time she'd reach in her bag, she'd come out with another book. She'd reach in a, in a, a drawer shelf. She'd come out with another book, go back to the same bag and the same shelf after she'd emptied them, and there was more books there every time, multiplied. The Lord just kept handing them out. Praise His name. And He's doing it in other lands, too. So this is Claire Pinar, uh, 9-22-21, and we called it David's Teachings Will Reach Far. I dreamed I was sitting in a white kitchen. Well, the white kitchen represents where the unleavened bread is fed to the people. It had a square stainless steel table and four stainless steel chairs in the middle of the kitchen. The stainless steel table and chairs represents an inability to corrupt or rust through, kind of like the rats and the mice, not taking it out, right? I was sitting with uh, an aboriginal woman. She was telling Rion and I how bad mainline Christianity was and how David Eels was helping her disabled son. This disabled son, I believe, represents her spiritual fruit of Christ in her that has been disabled by false church doctrines, right? So we agreed, and I remember thinking, wow, David's teachings are even reaching the first people groups of Australia. Then this same lady turned the topic to find out my background, and I stopped telling her as I heard Holy Spirit say, your past doesn't matter anymore. I wondered if this woman was planted in my dream to get info from me or if the Aboriginal people of Australia are gaining access to David Manchild Reformer teachings. And then I woke up. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, this one is was given to Eve Brast on 8 1921. And uh, we called it African Visitors of the UBM Revival. Eve is representing the corporate bride of the last Adam in this dream. She said, I dreamed that it was almost dark outside and all local UBM were gathered outside of the UBM house. The area was lit up by streetlights. I was lying on the same cot 
that I had seen David lying on in a previous dream where Michael and I had determined that he was dead. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> dead to self. This was uh, the scene that followed the trials uh, at the World's Fair dream uh, in the series, Tests Prove Who is the Bride, number one. Well, this represents that the bride follows the man-child David reformers into death and resurrection life. Glory be to God. It will be so because history told us this is what's going to happen. I was lying on my back on this cot, and David and Michael carried me on this cot because I was weak and needed to rest and conserve, conserve my strength. Well, the rest is to cease from our works so that God's strength is ours. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So our weakness is a good thing in this revelation. I was observing myself in the Spirit, and I saw that I had a white head covering on that had a large print of all sorts of colorful fruits on it. The bride, I believe, will bear much fruit as she submits in purity to her heavenly husband, Jesus. That's what the, heaven, the head covering is all about, a sign of submission to the husband, right? Okay. So, to my right was a short line of white women with blonde hair who had translated over here from Africa. Well, that's strange, huh? <laughs> well, in our dreams, many will be translated here in the natural. They're going to, this is going to happen. We know this. Uh, spiritually speaking, uh, they are white with blonde hair because they have been purified by their faith in the cleansing blood of Jesus and are submitted to the Son, S-O-N slash S-U-N. So the color of the hair is, is like the sun, right? She's submitted to the Son. They had come all that way to meet me and were so excited to finally get to greet me in person. They said things to me like, Oh, we are so honored to finally meet you. We have come a long way and are so blessed to be here with you now. Well, the bride will be honored among those who have discernment uh, and hated among those who are self-willed and religiously oriented. Well, each one took my hand in theirs with such love and admiration and warmth. Their excitement was palpable. They told me that they couldn't stay long, that they needed to take the UBM teaching materials back to their people in Africa and translating them too. Mm -hmm. And I told them that I was so glad to meet them and that they had come but that I had to apologize for not being able to stand up to give them a proper greeting. Aha! God's power is perfect through our weakness. Amen. Well, David and Michael were standing over the cot and greeting the women also as they, too, apologized for my weakness, but said something to the effect that I would soon be stronger than ever. And then I woke up. Well, True, right now, 
The bride is relatively weak, but soon they will be led by the man-child with much authority and power, which he imparts to them, uh, just as it was with the first disciples. Remember? Yeah. Revelation 3 and 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia... Philadelphia is the church of brotherly love, right? It's the bride's church, right? To the church in Philadelphia, right? These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, and he that openeth and none shall shut, and that shutteth and none openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee a door opened, which none can shut, that thou hast a little power, and didst keep my word, and didst not deny my name. Behold, I give of the synagogue of Satan, of them that say they are Jews, and they are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou didst keep the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of trial, that hour which is to come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Amen. The bride is obviously seated in heavenly places in Christ. Yes, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Many people are earthly in their walk. I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no one take thy crown. Well, amen. Okay, this is also given to us anonymously. Uh, oh, we know who it is, but it's anonymous. The UBM Luke 9 truck arrives to get the word out. Is that what we titled it? And they said, I had this dream, and God confirmed it through another brother as well. I dreamed it was daytime on Sunday, around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I felt like the Spirit of the Lord had something to tell me, and I felt a bit sleepy. I was reading the Bible, and I closed it and, and laid down on the carpet to rest. As I was resting, I got this vision. I saw we were here at our home in our ministry grounds, in another country, by the way, and the whole grounds were fully packed with many brand new computers. I was with some people at home as we were wondering about these computers. Well, computers represent the ability from our Father to get out much knowledge to many people easily and quickly. And this is what this brother and ministry are doing. But this shows it will happen on a much larger scale. And Father is saying uh, they all are going to get the word out in a very great way. He went on to say, while we were still there wondering about these new computers, a new truck came in. Well, I believe it's a new truck because uh, this is something that's coming. Right. These uh, big trucks carry sand and sometimes luggage. It came in and backed into the ministry grounds, and I ran to it. I tried to climb it to see what it had brought, 
but I could not see in there. It was tall, and I tried to see who was driving it, and I did not see anyone. It seemed like the driver closed the door so that no one could see him. Well, we know it's who it is. <laughs> Father is hiding that he and his power is behind this great move of God to spread the gospel through this ministry to his countries uh, and beyond. So, in my striving to see what was in there, I heard a voice tell me, What are you looking for? Can't you see? And the voice said again, Look at the back of the truck and read. I went to the back of the truck, and there was a big sign that said, Luke 9. I did not see this before. After reading this, a certain Mexican man, probably living in the USA, came to me and asked me, Man of God, help me to understand what this Bible verse means. Quote, After God saved his people from Egypt, he destroyed them who did not believe in the wilderness. Unquote. Well, it comes from Jude 1 and 5. Now I desire to put you in remembrance, though you know all things once and for all, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Believe it or not, this is common. Like the parable of the sower, right? Well, many don't understand that we must continue to walk by faith to see all of our salvation and kingdom benefits. And we are being tested in the wilderness of life as to whether we are truly a believer in the Word of God. As we know, many fell away and did not make it to the promised land. And Jesus said the same in the parable of the sower. I looked at him and I was thinking, this man knows English very well, better than me. Why is he asking me to explain to him something written in the language which he understands better than me? And as I was thinking about it all, the Spirit of the Lord reminded me of the Ethiopian official whom Philip helped to understand the Scriptures. Then the dream ended right there. Well, this knowledge of this knowledge this minister gained through the UBM materials uh, will spread back to foreigners who are aliens to the kingdom of God living in the USA. Yes, it will. Just like those people who came from Africa and um, it came back, right? So, early morning the next day, a brother in our ministry came to me and told me that he had a vision of God telling me to <laughs> read Luke 9, all of that chapter, and again to read Matthew 10, all of it. Wow. Good confirmation. And then he says, this speaks of Jesus sending out the apostles to spread the gospel of deliverance from sin, sickness, demonic possession, and heavenly provision everywhere. Jesus multiplying the fishes and loaves for the people to eat the food from heaven. Yeah. 
Well, this is what they are doing with computers and printers, and um, we have many more books to share with them, obviously, and many others. Um, in these texts, Jesus was preaching the crucified self-life, he said, which the prosperity preachers there refused to do. And uh, we have books uh, for this, too. And he went on to say Jesus was glorified before them. Well, he will be glorified everywhere and in them through his word, right? And he went on to say Jesus was casting out demons from the people. And especially, I would say, demon doctrines. This is what's setting the people free. And to realize that they should believe all that is written, right? Jesus was saying he was going to Jerusalem to be crucified by the false leadership. Well, those are they who love the self-life and will speak evil of the brethren there, and they're doing it here too. Yeah. So then he went on to say Jesus was preaching to follow him above all things. Yes, amen, so true. He said, wow, so... When I read Matthew 10 and Luke 9, they both read the same. Matthew 10, 5 through 8 says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and charged them, saying, Go not in any way of the Gentiles, enter not into any city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I want to tell you that most of the emphasis is going to be that today because it runs parallel to what happened in the Gospels. Uh, God wanted to offer uh, this covenant to those who already had a covenant from the Old Testament. And, and God wants us to go to uh, Christians who are not actually Christian because they believe things and have been led astray by false leaders, right? And these things don't manifest Christ in you, which is what Christianity is, right? Verse 7, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Another thing that doesn't happen is we freely give everything we have to any need we see. Uh, but these people, especially these prosperity preachers who claim to have such faith, uh, they charge poor people who cannot afford these things. So therefore, it's only those who can afford it that receives anything from them. And I kinda, I'm kind of glad about that because it's a good thing that poor people don't receive garbage, um, which is full of leaven, right? And people just wanting to take advantage of them. Some of these people, are, by the way, are going to be um, declassified in these coming days. There are a lot of so-called Christians uh, who are anything but Christians. Okay. And, by the way, I mean, we see here, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, uh, cast out demons, and uh, they will go forth with power. That's what it says there. Keep your eyes on that Luke 9 and Matthew 10. He, they're going to go forth with power. Praise be to God. God is so awesome. 
He uh, has thought of everything. And he's there to meet our needs in any way that even is beyond our possibility thinking, as we've already shared. Well, we can't talk much about this, but we, UBM has schools raising up many missionaries in foreign lands. And many of our missionaries are in danger of factions here and in their own lands. So we don't say much. Can't give names, countries, and so on. And many are in countries where Christianity is illegal and hated. Some have been killed by their factious enemies, just as it is here. And we are stretched to our limit, providing their ministry needs, but our God has been faithful. And as we can see from these testimonies, He has no limits to meet your needs and ours. A God that can change time and make things appear and disappear uh, has no limits. And uh, He can provide your needs anywhere. I'll just remind you of one little testimony, how that the Lord uh, put food in my family's stomach when I prayed a simple prayer and we had run out of everything. I said, Lord, you sent us here, and I'm asking you to fill our plates or fill our tummies. And he filled our tummies. <laughs> As I said, nothing can stop God from meeting your needs. You just have to have um, your faith expanded to believe that, is anything too hard for God? That was his question. Is anything, anything, too hard for God? Well, the obvious answer is no. Nothing is too hard for God. He can meet any need, anywhere, anytime, even if there isn't time. <laughs> Praise God. He is an awesome Savior. In all things, He will meet your needs, whether it be sickness, whether it be death, whether it be uh, uh, cleansing the lepers or casting out demons, you know, he will meet your needs. He will provide. He multiplied the fishes and the loaves. And when they had less fish and loaves to start with, the miracle was bigger. Twice he did this, right? When he had less to start with, less that they put in, the miracle was bigger because the need was bigger. Um, that just tells you the the more we cease from our works, the greater God's miracles will be. The less we put in, the more He puts in. So, His power is made perfect in our weakness. So, going into a wilderness which, by the way, the church is about to do physically, but we all have our spiritual wilderness experiences. But going into a wilderness is a place of great lack and need. And uh, it's a place where Egypt does not supply your needs. And so in that weakness, God did miraculous things to provide for His people. Water out of a rock? Who'd have thunk it? 
quails out of the sky, feet deep, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> they couldn't get anywhere where God wouldn't supply their needs. Manna out of heaven? Who'd have thunk it, right? <laughs> Excuse my language. Uh, but it is so. And uh, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Now think about that. Exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. So we need to think big, right? And we need to ask big, right? And God will answer big, right? Uh, he is uh, searching the earth to find someone whose heart is perfect towards him. He wants people to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God. He puts a high premium on people believing him for the impossible. Amen. So, Lord, we thank you so much for your gracious mercy upon your people in pouring forth of your faith. Lord, your word says, by grace have you been saved. Have you been saved, literally, uh, through faith? And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So therefore, God gives this gift of faith so that you may be a partaker in all of this grace, this impossible grace. So ask him for faith. And uh, when you pray, pray in the Spirit, which is called in the Scripture speaking in tongues, because the Spirit makes intercession for you according to the will of God. And when you ask anything according to his will, he hears you, the Bible says. And one of the things is building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So when you pray in the Spirit, God builds up your faith. Praise be to God. That's what you need, right? To take a hold of this impossible-looking grace, right? Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Father, for uh, blessing us to have this fellowship today. And um, we'll just do it again, as you say, Lord. As you make opportunity and you open doors, we will do it again. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you. Hallelujah. All right. God bless you, saints. And Michael Hare's coming, too, to share something with you. And we pray that, Lord, anoint Michael and bless him mightily in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good night, folks. Well, thank you, Brother David. <clears throat> God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for these old saints of the past who have gone on to be with you that has helped us in this uh, word of faith uh, teachings. And we praise you, Father, for them because they were great men of faith. And they showed it by their works, walking in it daily. And, Lord, we just uh, praise you and we glorify you for the things that uh, they showed us. And, Lord, I ask <coughs> that uh, you would anoint this message today that come from Kenneth Hagin, uh, one of his teachings. And I praise you, Father, for doing that in Jesus' name. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. Kenneth Hagin was a 
instrumental in uh, teaching me faith uh, early on in my Christian walk. And uh, he, he did it in a way that was real down to earth and a uh, way that a lot of people could understand. He instilled and encouraged faith in a lot, a lot of people. And uh, I'd like to give you some things that he uh, uh, talked about uh, uh, as far as praying and how to pray uh, today. So let's go ahead and get started. Hagen said this, he said, Jesus is our mediator. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate and our Lord. And he stands between us and the Father. In no place in the Bible is it recorded that Jesus told his disciples to pray to him. They were always to pray to the Father in his name. And if we wish to be sure of reaching the throne, we must come according to the rules laid down in the word of God. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24 says, And in that day you shall ask me no question. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you shall ask anything of the Father, he will give it you in my name. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be made full. And if you'll notice, Jesus said this. He said, in that day you shall ask me no question. Jesus said that before he went away. He was talking about the mediatorial session at the right hand of the Father when he ascended and was seated. And another translation reads this, In that day you shall not pray to me. And Jesus said to ask the Father in his name. There's no other way to pray, folks. We can tell Jesus how much we love him and appreciate him, but when it comes to praying and asking, we have to ask the Father through the Lord Jesus, it said. Ephesians chapter 3 and 14 and 15 said, For this cause I bow my knees Unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, it's not important what church you belong to, but it is important whose family you belong to. A lot of people know about praying to God, but they don't know anything about praying to the Father. And they don't sound as if they really know him. He is God to the world, folks. He's Father to me. There's real joy in knowing that the Father answers our prayers. Smith Wigglesworth was installing some plumbing in the large house one day, and the lady of the family came in, watched a while, then left. Finally, the woman came back into the room and locked the door, and she asked Wigglesworth if he would tell her something. She asked, what in the world is it that causes that wonderful expression on your faith? <clears throat> you look as if you are full of joy. And he then told her that at breakfast that morning, his wife had come downstairs and informed him that two of their children were very ill. He said that before they even ate, they went upstairs, laid hands on their children, and they were instantly healed. 
Wigglesworth was just so happy because he had asked and had received. His joy was full. And then the lady asked Wigglesworth if she could know God like that. And standing right there, she accepted the Lord as her Savior. She then asked Wigglesworth if she could keep this experience. And he told her that the only way to keep it was to give it away. He told her to tell all her friends about being saved. You see, Wigglesworth would have looked worried and sad if his children had still been ill. Instead, he had that joy on his faith. <clears throat> and I believe it ought to be that way with all Christians. Ask, he said, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. John 16 and 14. You have to maintain that joy even before the manifestation comes. <clears throat> Another time, Wigglesworth was facing a desperate financial need, and he was visiting in the home of a very wealthy man, but said nothing about his problem. He had cast every care on the Lord and was whistling and very happy. The rich man was not in good spirits, and he told Wigglesworth that he would give all that he owned to have the spirit that Wigglesworth had. Wigglesworth told him it wouldn't cost him anything. All he had to do was cast all of his cares on Jesus. Hagen goes on to say, Some years ago I was preaching in a church close to home. After I had been there about a week, the pastor asked me to stay on and preach longer. He asked me what salary I needed. I told him that he replied that that was more than his church had ever paid an evangelist. But they would give me that amount. We then agreed that my needs would be supplied. On Saturday before the service on Sunday night, I went home, and while I was there, I discovered that some emergencies had arisen, and I needed several hundred dollars more. I knew when I went back to preach on Sunday, the pastor would be dismayed. I had already obligated myself to stay with him for a couple of weeks. Therefore, all I could do was pray that the Lord would work it all out. When I returned to the meeting, I didn't say anything to the pastor. He told me later that they had not met the budget, that they did not have enough to pay the minimum he had promised me. Then I told him the amount I would need to have in order to meet my emergencies. About that time, he became upset, and I told him that I would believe for it, and he could agree with me. Later on, his wife told me that she noted Notice that this financial trouble never bothered me a bit, and I, I seem to be just as full of joy as ever. When the meeting was over, I had the money, praise God. You see, the need was there, and God met the need. He gave me even more than I needed because I had walked by faith and not by sight. I've seen that many times in my life, too. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us that it is to the Father and not to Jesus that we give thanks. The name of Jesus is the access to the heart of the Father. When you desire to get an answer, follow the teachings of the Word. Pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. If you go to the bank with a check and ask the cashier to cash that check for a friend, you're going to be asked if you have money on deposit to guarantee it. 
However, if that check was has the name of a person who has an account at that particular bank, there's not going to be any questions asked. We fail in our praying sometimes because our approach is all wrong. Thank God, Jesus has a standing in heaven. <clears throat> he is the only approach to the Father. And let us use the mighty name of Jesus that he has given us. He gave us the power of attorney to use his name. He said, in my name shall they, that's us believers, cast out devils in Mark 16 and 17. And folks, we have a right to use that name against the devil. We have a right to use that name to call out demons that binds men's souls. And Hagen goes on and says, several years ago, I was holding a meeting in East Texas. And we were studying the subject of prayer. In those meetings, two things took place that changed the whole course of my life. I had always believed in divine healing, but there were some cases of which I was afraid. In particular, these were mental cases or cases of demon possession. Then the Lord brought this comparison to me. It was as if a person were going to his car to unlock the door. He could say that he had unlocked the door, but in reality, he didn't unlock it because the key actually does the unlocking. When he starts the car, a key really does the work. A key starts the ignition. The key is the important factor in the whole situation. And then I begin to look at it from this standpoint. I am not going to cast out any devils, but Jesus gave me the key to do it. Jesus is the key to doing it. My fear of casting out devils ceased. Secondly, as I lay on my bed and studied the word of God, I began to see something else. Let me encourage you to follow up on the word after you read it and meditate upon it. Our spirits need to be educated and trained. And just because you read the Word of God is no sign that your spirit is educated. Now, I could sit down and read a great deal of scientific material, but that is no sign that I know what I'm reading. You can read the Bible and not understand what you are reading. God's Word has to get down inside of you until you get the revelation of it in your heart, folks. Hagen goes on and says, years ago I read Einstein's theory of relativity and did not understand a thing I was reading. When I finished, I knew less than when I had started. It confused me. And I think many times when people read the Word, they don't know what they're reading. They're trying to grasp it with their mentality. You have to get that revelation of the Word in your heart. And Hagen goes on and said, As I lay reading, I began to meditate on the scriptures I had read. I began to see something that I had never seen before. I saw that the devil is the author of all that is evil and that he is the God of this world. Satan has blinded and bound men. And I began to see that those of my own family who were unsaved were bound by the devil. No man would drive his automobile a hundred miles an hour and try to kill himself if he were in his right mind. But a fellow who is doped and drunk will because he don't know what he's doing. 
no intelligent person will go through life wheeling and dealing and heading towards hell if he is in his right mind. For example, the Bible says when the prodigal son went home, he came to himself in Luke 15 and 17. Hagen goes on and says, I received such a revelation of this that I was challenged. I had been praying for my oldest brother who had gone astray. But I discovered that all of my praying and fasting had been done in unbelief. If you're expecting just prayer to do it, it ain't going to work. This was revealed to me as, as I lay there, Hagen said. I rose up with my Bible and said, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you foul devil and demon of hell and spirits that bind my brother's soul, I bind you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I was full of joy, for I knew that it was just as good as done. And I laid my Bible down and went out of the room, whistling and singing. About two weeks later, as I was walking into my bedroom, I heard a voice say to me, Oh, you don't think you'll really ever be saved, do you? I stopped dead still, shutting that out of my mind and not even letting myself think about it. But way down inside, I was laughing. I told the devil that I had claimed his salvation, that I knew it would come to pass. Two days afterwards, at the very spot it had happened before, I heard that same voice again asking the same question. Again, I stopped and shut it out of my mind. I told the devil that I had claimed my brother's salvation and had broken, broken Satan's power over him. A few days later, I received a letter from my wife which stated that my brother had been saved. I wrote back and told her that I had known it for two or three weeks now. Folks, the name of Jesus belongs to you too. That name has authority on earth. You have a right to use that name. And if the devil can hold you in the thought arena, he'll whip you. If you hold him in the arena of faith, he's the victim. Fight the good fight of faith. Peter said, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom withstands steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. You have to believe in your heart and in your spirit that what the word of God says is true, is true. You see, the devil fought me twice, he said. He tried to get me into the thought realm. You don't think that your brother will ever be saved, do you? That's what he kept saying to me. And that is exactly where many people try to solve their spiritual problems with their minds. Then they get all confused. and They are worried sick and have frowns on their faces. But you need to act from your innermost being, from your heart and your spirit. Jesus said, Whosoever shall say, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass, he shall have it. Mark eleven twenty three. Then he goes on to say, I was preaching that same year in Port Arthur, Texas, and the services were good, and there were many healings. 
A Methodist woman came to the meetings and thanked me for the lessons we had been having. She told me that she had been sick for 20 years and had not been able to do her work. She could not even get up and fix breakfast for her husband, and she was in her 40s and had two grown daughters. The doctors had not been able to help her. She had been to different healing meetings, but had failed to receive her healing. But in my meetings, she said that I had taught her how to receive her healing. Sometime later, I received a letter from this same woman with an offering enclosed. For she said that she wanted to have a part in helping someone else that she had been helped. She said that she had not known the importance of the word of God in the name of Jesus. In the privacy of her own, own home, she had looked up the scriptures, raised her Bible and said, Satan, you who have bound my body for all these years, I break your power over my life and claim my deliverance and my healing. And she added that for the first time in 20 years, she was doing all of her own housework. Six months had passed and she was still healed. She said that she had the vigor and vitality of a teenager and that she had not felt so good since she was 16 years old. And then she told me about her husband who had never been saved. He would not go to church with her, although he was a good husband. This woman took the Bible, and in her home, own home, she said, In the name of Jesus, I break the power of the devil over my husband and claim his salvation. She said that it worked like magic. Overnight, he became a new creature. She said that they were the happiest they had ever been in their lifetime. She told about her daughters who smoked and danced. She said that she lifted her hands to heaven again and broke the devil's power over them, claiming their salvation. Within 10 days, they became new creatures. They were delivered from every habit that had bound them, and heaven became their home. When we will learn to pray in line with what the Word of God says, our prayers will be effective. John 16, 23 and 24 says, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Jesus said that just before he went to the cross. And he, what he was referring to was the day in which we now live, the day when he went to the cross and the day when he ascended up on high and was seated at the right hand of the Father. He's now our mediator, our intercessor, our advocate, and our Lord. And he stands between the Father and us. When he says in that day, he means the day of the new covenant. When Jesus was here on the earth, the disciples could ask him, they could talk to him personally in the flesh. Hagen says, a minister friend of mine never gets answers when he prays. Prayer is a struggle for him. He prays to Jesus. I prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus, and I prayed this way for more than 50 years, Hagen said, and I've gotten everything I've ever asked for. I usually get it immediately. However, 
In the case of money, it sometimes takes a few days because it has to come in through various channels. And if this friend of mine were to ask me to pray for his finances, then he and I would have to agree on it. But his will could block my will in faith, for we have authority over demons and evil spirits, but we don't have authority over human spirits. If we had authority over human spirits, then we could make everybody get saved, couldn't we? In John G. Lake's book, Sermons on Dominion Over Demons, Disease, and Death, Lake talks about praying for a man who has sugar diabetes. They knelt to pray when suddenly Lake asked the man what this $5,000 was that kept coming up before him. The man answered that his brother and he had been in business and his brother had died. His sister-in-law wanted him to liquidate the business, and he did. But he had kept $5,000 out for himself because he felt he deserved it, though it was actually her money. He told Lake that he had more than $5,000 in the bank, whereupon Lake told him to write out a check for $5,000 and then he would pray for him. The man wrote the check, walked to the mailbox, and sent it to his sister-in-law. When he came back, he was healed. Sometimes matters like this nullify the effects of prayer. And somebody might say that they believe John chapter 16 and verses 23 and 24, but don't say but, okay? Because there's not a but in that verse. Somebody says they believe this scripture if. Folks, there ain't even an if in that verse. So don't say if, just take Jesus at his word, okay? Jesus says in John chapter 16 and verse 24, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. In other words, up to this time, no one had ever asked anything in his name because he was on earth. Praying in Jesus' name didn't do any good until he began his uh mediatorial intercession at the right hand of the Father. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Your joy cannot be full with your needs unmet. Your joy cannot be full if you cannot pay your rent <clears throat> or your bills. You cannot be full of joy if your children are sick. Hagen goes on and says, we were holding a service and the phone rang about six o'clock in the evening. It was my mother-in-law who was taking care of our children. She said that my son, Ken, had the mumps. He'd been sick all afternoon, so she put Ken on the phone. And he said that he had told his grandmother to call because he knew that I would pray to God and God would heal him. When Ken hung up the phone, we prayed. She told us later that he lay down and fell asleep. About 45 minutes later, she woke him up, told him to get his pajamas on and go to bed. He had no fever. The swelling was gone and he was fine. And from that time on, he never did have the mumps. God does hear and answer prayer, folks. Too much of the time, people just make a little stab in the dark and call that praying. The hope that something will work out. Now let's call attention to the difference between praying for Jesus' sake and praying in the name of Jesus. When you go to God and ask him to do something for Jesus' sake, you are asking it 
that it be done to help Jesus on your credit. Now that sounds foolish because Jesus doesn't need our help. And you don't have any credit to guarantee it if he did. We need the help. And he's got the credit. Now, don't keep praying for Jesus' sake. If I have a stomachache and I'm praying for healing, I don't want it to stop hurting for Jesus' sake. It's to help me. I'm the one who's hurting, not Jesus. If I owe $100 and I'm praying for it to come in the offering, I do that to help myself. I know that God has helped us on a lower level when we did not know any better, but we ought to be able to grow in prayer. The Bible teaches us that there is a similarity between physical and spiritual growth. No one is born a fully grown human being. People are born babies and they grow up. And we ought to be able to improve upon our praying just as we improve upon things physically. Hagen goes on and says, when I was a young boy, I used to pray. Now I'll lay me down to sleep. I don't pray that way anymore. When some were spiritual babies, they might have prayed certain ways and God met them, helped them. And then it sufficed for that day. But God wants us to grow spiritually. When you meet God on his level, it makes a big difference. He requires more of you as you grow. When light comes and teaching is given, God requires you to walk in that light that he's given you. It says, in my name, they shall speak with new tongues in Mark 16 and 17. Every believer ought to be speaking in tongues. And you can do it in Jesus' name. In my name. They shall take up serpents, Mark 16, 17, 18. And what that means is that if you are accidentally bitten by a snake, you can shake it off and claim immunity in the name of Jesus. For example, when Paul, the apostle, was shipwrecked on an island, he picked up sticks to build a fire and a snake fastened onto his hand. People there had thought that he had done something terrible, for it looked as if judgment had come upon him. They expected him to fall dead any second. They watched him, but he didn't get sick, and he didn't fall dead. And then they thought he was a god. Hagen goes on and says, In East Texas, a minister friend of mine and some friends of his were out fishing in one of the rivers, and a cottonmouth moxin hit him. It frightened the other men because they were not saved. My friend shook it off in the name of Jesus and went about his business. His friends watched him and saw that it never had any evil effect on him. And this is not extreme because it's biblical. The Bible says if they drink any deadly thing, pardon, it shall not hurt them. And that means that if you accidentally take poison, you have a right to claim immunity in the name of Jesus. Folks, how many of you know we've got poison all around us now? They've been spraying from the air. They've been poisoning our water and all of that. So all we do is just claim that um, healing, that blessing in the name of Jesus. Hagen goes on and says, Some years ago, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Texas, in the Texas district, related this story to a group of ministers. Many years ago, the Texas District had a convention in Corpus Christi, Texas. 
The ministers did not have a great deal of money to stay in good hotels, so they were occupying about a third-rate hotel. The hotel didn't have running water, but there was a pitcher of water in the room. All the ministers had eaten their meals together in a cook tent. After they had finished eating, some of them began to get sick. Finally, about 20 or 30 of them began desperately, became desperately ill. So they began praying for one another. As they prayed, someone had a revelation that the water in the hotel was poisoned. So they told the rest of the group not to drink it anymore. Everybody was healed. Then they took the remaining water to a nearby naval station and had it tested. The examining officers told them that there was enough poison in that water to kill a regiment of men. Someone had tried to play a cruel joke on these ministers because everyone knew that this group believed in miracles and healing. None of the party had to have medical aid. They had a right to claim immunity in the name of Jesus because they had accidentally been poisoned. Now, folks, this is not extreme teaching because it's in the Word of God. The Bible says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall <coughs> recover. And if you'll notice, Jesus said, In my name they shall speak with new tongue. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You, you lay hands on people in his name. You do the speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit gives the others. And you have a right to do that in the name of Jesus. And this is just as strong and legal as it can be. The ordinary child of God has just as much right to use the name of Jesus against the devil as a minister of God does. Someone said to me that if he had enough faith, he could do what the scripture says. Jesus never said a word about faith in the scripture. He said, he that believeth in my name. You already have faith. If you believe in the name of Jesus, then use it. And it's not struggling for faith. It's just simply, boldly taking our rights and using what belongs to us. And in the business world, you have a right to use what's yours. You don't think then about having enough faith. That doesn't matter your mind. It's when that person who needs healing acts upon what belongs to him that he gets his healing. Too much of the time, folks don't believe as they should in divine healing. They are merely mentally assenting that these things are so. We got people sitting in the church testifying that they know the word of God is true, but they still don't get their healing. They're not acting in faith and using the name of Jesus. When we act on the word, it works, folks. James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. It's just a matter of knowing what belongs to you and acting on it. It's taking your legal right. Praise God. And James goes on to say, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he deceives himself. James 1, 23 through 26. And the margin says that he deludes himself. We've got a lot of self-deluded people out there. You need to act as boldly as you would in the business world. The name of Jesus belongs to me just as much as my hands and feet belong to me. I just go ahead and use them because they're mine. 
And you'll find that the devil will seek to confuse you. He'll seek to withstand you. But the name of Jesus is yours. So take it up and use it. You know, we've got plenty of people who pray, but the results prove that their prayers are not working. If you don't get results in your praying, then you're a prayer failure. And if you're not expecting results, then there ain't no need to pray, is there? Pray to profit, folks. Great businesses do business to profit. We must make a business of prayer. That is to make our prayers heard and answered. The foundation of this great country is Christianity. And the basis of Christianity is a living religion that has touched with a living God who hears and answers prayer. We should always expect results when we pray. And if we pray and those results don't follow, then we need to find out what the trouble is. The big things of Christianity are all supernatural. If there are no results, then it shows that we have the form without the power. All the things that God has are offered to us, if only we pray. And if we don't have them, then it's because we have not made our prayer connection. God is still in the same business. Hagen goes on and he says, Through the years I have gone to churches where not a single soul has been saved for years. Why don't we just get down to the basic principles and find out what the matter is? God is not untrue. Miracles can still happen. He goes on and says, In the early days of the Assemblies of God movement, there was a preacher by the name of I.J. Jameson. He was formerly a Presbyterian minister. In his testimony, he told that he was lecturing in a western city as a Presbyterian and there was a forest fire raging in the area. About 10 in the morning, he was down at the barbershop getting a shave when a fellow came in with a telegram asking the people in a nearby tent meeting to pray for rain. The men in the barbershop all began talking about the tent meeting where there were people who believed in this kind of thing. But they were afraid to take the telegram over to the tent, so Mr. Jameson agreed to take it and hand it over to the minister. He said that the minister quieted everyone and read the request, whereupon everyone began praying. Afterward, they thanked God that there would be rain. The minister gave Jamison the telegram and told him to send one back, saying that there would be rain by 10 that night. It shocked him. Jameson went back to the barber shop and told the men what had happened. They all laughed about it and read the weather report, which said there would not be any rain for at least four or five days. Jameson went on to his lecture and then went home to bed. His wife had washed some clothes and had left them out on the line, so he teased her about bringing them in because it was going to rain. They laughed about it. Then about 9.30, they fell off to sleep. Directly, they were awakened by thunder and lightning. It was raining. Praise God. This really made Jameson wonder. After his own lectures were over, he began attending the tent meetings. He would sit down at the back and take notes on everything. He could not understand why he had not seen all of these things before. He said he knew 
that there was a woman in the church whose daughter was insane. He had heard that this woman and some of the people were going to meet at the asylum to try to cast the devil out of her daughter. The mother was taking a dozen women with her. Jameson asked if he could go along. He met them at the asylum, and the attendant said they couldn't go in because the girl was violent and might kill them. They were stopped before a padded cell where there was a young woman inside who looked like an animal. She hissed and spit, and her eyes were ablaze. All this time, the attendant was telling them that they could not go inside the cell because if they did, he would lose his job. Nevertheless, he unlocked the door. The mother went in, and the dozen women fell on their knees and started praying. Jameson and the attendant stood back and watched. The daughter stepped back and climbed halfway up the padded wall. She made a leap at her mother like an animal, and the mother sidestepped her, and the girl fell and then started to get up. The mother held her down and said, Come out of her, devil, in the name of Jesus. Jameson stood there and watched spellbound. For ten minutes, the mother said this over and over again. Suddenly, the daughter relaxed and asked her if it was she. She threw her arms around her mother's neck and hugged and kissed her. I.J. Jameson witnessed it and said that he wanted the Holy Ghost. He said that he was a candidate for that kind of praying. That mother believed that she received what she wanted. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Barely, barely, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your jar may be full. We are to pray in the name of Jesus to the Father. We are to pray for results, and if results don't follow, then our prayer life is a failure. Hagen goes on and says, I remember reading about Dr. Charles Price. Someone had phoned him and asked him to come to the hospital. He ordinarily did not go because of lack of time. But this person calling had been close to him in days past, so he agreed to go. This woman had been converted under his ministry. When he arrived, he found that she was dying of cancer. The doctor came while he was there, so Price told the woman that he would go home and pray for her. The doctor told him that it would be just a short while before she would die. The doctor thought it would be a good eye to pray because it would soothe her nerves. But Dr. Price told him that he wasn't going to pray for her so that her nerves would be soothed. He said that he was going to pray that God would heal her. And the doctor looked astonished. He knew that it just couldn't be so. But Dr. Price did pray for her. And she was healed. And he was praying for results. Glory to God. P.C. Nelson, who was a minister, was run over by an automobile, and the doctor said that he would lose his limb, but he was healed. He then held healing meetings across the nation for different churches. Nelson was holding a meeting for the Baptists, and he was praying for the sick. A man who was pastor of another Baptist church in Arkansas and had gone to seminary with Nelson heard that he was holding these services. This man attending was very much opposed. He talked about Nelson at home and his family. 
decided to go to the services. He took them along and his mother, who was living with him. The next morning, they were talking about the service at breakfast. The Baptist pastor didn't think it was right to pray for someone publicly, but his mother said that she wouldn't criticize Nelson. Finally, their youngest child, who was about five-year-old, spoke up. He said that the only difference he could see was that his daddy prayed for folks on Sunday morning, saying, Lord, bless the sick, while not really expecting anything to happen. Nelson prayed as if he expected God to heal them right then. This caused the minister to start thinking. He decided to cooperate with the meetings. <clears throat> he also saw that he ought to pray for results. There's no use praying if you're not praying for results. God doesn't hear and answer prayer. He wants to hear and answer your prayer. God did not put all these statements in the Bible about prayer just to fill up space. They're there for our benefit. Isaiah 43, 25, and 26 says, I, even I, am he that blots out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Notice that God said, Put me in remembrance. Those who have been mighty in prayer have always been those who reminded God of his promises and brought his word before him. Charles Finney is probably the most outstanding exponent of prayer. He is known as the man who prayed down revivals. He had the greatest success and his converts were the most consistent since the days of the Apostle Paul. And it's common knowledge that 85%, 85% of his converts remained true to God. Moody was a great evangelist, but only about 50% of his converts remained faithful. We have had a mighty move in the past 50 years, but it's common knowledge that not over 50% of the converts have remained true to the Lord. Finney had the greatest success numbers wise as far as keeping the fruit of his labor since the days of the Apostle Paul. Whole cities were stirred. For instance, I read in Finney's autobiography that in 1829, he went to the city of Rochester, New York, where he conducted a meeting and practically everyone in town was saved. All the grog shops closed down. Well, we call them honky-tonks and beer joints now. There was not a place left in town where one could buy anything to drink. The only theater in town was closed up. There was such a revival that when a circus came to town, only two people went to it, so it had to close down. Everybody was interested in God. The revival was on. The people were just not concerned about anything else. And I also read that Finney went to hold another meeting when he was a Presbyterian. He had been talking about 15 minutes when the power of God fell on him. About 400 people fell off their seats onto the floor. And it was a Presbyterian church. He didn't know what was happening. But he said that he found out later that they had all been sinners and had just gotten saved when they fell under the power. Finney prayed for revival. He was a real man of prayer. 
He said that he had some experiences in prayer that indeed alarmed him. He added that he found himself saying to the Lord, Lord, you don't think that we're not going to have a revival here, do you? You don't think that you could withhold your blessings? He found himself reminding the Lord what he had promised. George Whitfield, another minister, came over from England and preached on the streets. He was speaking in the public square in Boston, Massachusetts. And when he began to preach, folks climbed up into trees to be able to see because the crowd was so large. Whitfield told him to come down because when the power of God came, they would fall out of the trees. Smith Wigglesworth said that God delights in his children having the audacity of faith to say, God, you have promised it, so now do it. You say that in faith. And this agrees with what God says. For God said, put me in remembrance. They were putting him in remembrance of what he said. And if God wants us to put him in remembrance, then let's do it. Isaiah 43, 26 said it. Folks, we are facing great needs everywhere today. People are dying for the need of Christ. The sick need healing. The weak need strength. Well, what's your part? Are you in his will? Are you doing what he wants you to do? Is your life right with God? Does your heart condemn you? If so, get right with him. Thank God that don't take very long either. Whatever you are praying about, stand your ground until victory is manifested. God wants to send you the answer. Folks, this is spiritual warfare against the hosts of darkness. The Bible says so in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principality, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Get down before the Father God and persist in prayer, even though the men enemy tries to hinder you. We've got weapons with which to fight the devil with. Our weapons are the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the mighty name of Jesus. The demons can't stand these. And you can defeat the devil every time. Pray to victory. And if you're praying for the sick, claim their deliverance in Jesus' name. Jesus said, in my name. That's believers. That's us. Shall lay hands upon the sick, and they shall recover. So you lay your hands on them. You claim their deliverance in the name of Jesus because you have solid ground on which to stand. And that's the word of God. And if it's money, pray that it be loosed. This is because the money is here in this realm. God put all the silver and gold and cattle on a thousand here, hills here for you and me. He didn't put it here for the devil and his crowd. He put it here and gave Adam dominion over all of it. Then Adam committed high treason and sold out to the devil, and that's, and that's when the devil became the god of this world. Adam was the god of this world in that he had dominion over it, but he sold out to the devil. So now the devil has dominion. But thank God, Jesus came and defeated the devil. He gave us the right to use his name. Praise God forevermore. Hagen says, at one time I was poverty stricken and had my nose to the grindstone. And then I began to see something. The Lord told me never to pray for money. 
He said, for me not to ask him to give me money for it was down here. He instructed me that in the name of Jesus, I should command the money to come. Whatever I wanted or needed, I should claim it. He said that he wanted his children to have the best. And in God's word, he said that he wanted his children to eat the good of the land. His word declares, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father who is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And we need to realize the principles by which God works. God has given us the name of Jesus. He, he said that it wasn't he who was holding the finances from me. It wasn't he who did not want my children to have the right kind of food to eat. If it were, he wouldn't be the right kind of father. He reminded me that any old sinner could be a father who was concerned about his children and that even an animal could be concerned about his offspring. He said that there would never was an earthly parent who desired to do more for his children than he did. He said that the problem was that his children did not cooperate with him. So he told me to command the devil to take his hands off the finances. If you pray to God to give you $100, you're putting all the responsibility upon him. But the responsibility is on our part. Because through Jesus Christ, deliverance has already been made for us. Hagen goes on and says, I immediately began to do what he said. From that day to this, I never pray anymore about money. I just tell Satan to take his hands off my money. And I always say that I claim so much money. I always say that angels are ministering spirits who are sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. And to minister means to wait on or to serve. When you go to a restaurant, a waitress comes to serve or to minister to you. And this is the illustration the Lord gave me when I was praying in the spirit. Actually, I had a vision and saw an angel. Jesus informed me that was my angels. Jesus spoke, spoke to me about the time. He said in his words, suffer the little children to come unto me in Matthew nineteen fourteen. Then he also said, their angel is ever before my father's face. Jesus said this when the disciples were rebuking the people for pressing around him when he was tired. And Jesus told me that just because I grew up, I didn't lose my angel. The Lord told me to tell my ministering spirits or angels to go and cause the money to come. And I have been doing that and he has been working ever since then. Well, I have too. And he does. As we pray, we receive the answers we need. Prayer is the life of the church. And I feel that there's a great deal more that God is going to do in these last days. I believe that we're only in the beginning of the prayer fight that is to end this dispensation. So we need to learn the secret of praying for others. Pray for men and women by their name. Don't just lump them all together in one little group. And don't just pray for God to save souls. Mention their names specifically to God and watch what he'll do with them. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. 
Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, Shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust in you. Sacred heart in you, I find mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus, I trust in